Yes, you've arrived at the Legend Podcast at DaxMyHand.com. How did I become a legendary sports figure? How does anyone become legendary? It starts with a coach. Join us as we have conversations with coaches of all ages, experience, and expertise, and find out what does it take to lead athletes to legendary stats. Our minds have improved enough to know that we're just as good as those guys because we are willing to compete. Welcome to DaxMyHand.com. We have a treat for you today. We've spoke with Dr. Frank G. Heidegg. If you know American Legion Baseball in Western Kentucky, you know Dr. Frank Heidegg. Dr. Heidegg was the Legion coach for 23 years, winning over 800 games in that time, six state championships. This guy knows baseball. The things that he talked to us about that I think are really key, there's three key points. One, how do you develop players? The second thing, how do you empower leadership in those players? And, and here's the final thing that you need to take out of this. Have you had trouble having your, getting your son or your daughter to enjoy or have fun while they're playing? Dr. Heidegg tells us how to ingrain a love of competition that is, get this, fun. Come join us, DaxMyHand.com. Uh, he was my Legion coach, coached my brother and, and a few other guys that were pretty decent through those years. Uh, Doc, we're glad to have you. We're actually here at, at Brook Stadium at Doc Heidegg Field. Uh, when did they name the field after you? And, and uh, kind of tell us a little bit about that. Well, it happened about, uh, I would say, six years ago, five or six years ago. Uh, I was totally surprised. We, we had won the American Legion, had won the uh, state tournament, was getting ready to go to the regional tournament, as I recall. And uh, we were said they were having a party down there at the city hall for them, and so all the Legion players were there, and a lot of people I knew, and I suspected that, uh, you know, that they were just going to honor those those fellows. Instead, they honored me, and it was a complete surprise. You know, Greg McKeel had a lot of nice words to say, and you know, when you have your name along Pope Brooks's name, that's that's pretty impressive. And, and you know, Mr. Brooks, when you played out here, talk about how you got into the game of baseball and your. And your interest, you know, I mean, maybe going back to your childhood days. And what, what got you into baseball? Well, I grew up in a little town called Madison, Illinois. We had about 8,000 people in there at the most. And I think that was counting some of them twice. But uh, <laughs> we had a coach by the name of Arville Price. And uh, he had the best team around. I wanted to play on it. So I, I went out and tried out, and I made it. And uh, and just was uh, really impressed with how good he was to us and how much he cared about us and how much he helped us. And it carried on through high school, you know, that helped me and it helped me through college. And after I got out of chiropractic college, uh, I came here and one Sunday I was just driving around after church and I turned over here and saw this stadium. And so then I uh, was in my suit, you know, when we were to church and I walked in and they were short one player and, uh, they need another guy to play, and I said, well, I'll play, you know. And so we got out there, and I played, and I got to know Billy Martin and, and those, those people and uh, wound up playing out here. And the first thing I knew, I met Coy Stacy out here. And then Coy asked me if I would help with Legion baseball. And I did. I helped Coy for one year, 
And then he retired, and Charlie Lloyd and myself took over. Uh, clarify, Coy was a scout for the Cardinals for a long time. Yeah. He, he was like they call bird dog scouts. Mm-hmm. You know, if they uh, he he asked me if I wanted to do it, and I recommended Mike Pitt because Mike knew everybody. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that ever came about or not. But I didn't know all the kids because I was due around here. But I, I knew that I I liked Legion baseball from what I saw, and I played Legion baseball. But uh, – yeah, the car was, and if the Cardinals needed somebody, they, they would send him to go out and look and see if he's worth sending somebody down to look at. Car, you know, all the years that I coached American Legion baseball, Car raised the money for it, so we never had a money problem because you know he had he had the uh, Mr. Brooks was a good man, Car Stacy was. I was very fortunate to have those people in my camp, and, and you know we also had Eddie Haas and Phil Roof. Right. That didn't hurt anything. Yeah, oh, yeah, exactly. Ma- uh, major leaguers from Paducah, for those who don't mm-hmm. know. Yeah. In fact, Eddie Haas was the manager of the Atlanta Braves for one year in the eighties, right. I, I believe. So, so Doc, talk about talk about the teams you had and kind of maybe your philosophy of of how to pick a team. You know, you I know when I played, and it may have been different in previous years, but you always had an open tryout for high schoolers from around the area. And kind of talk about you know the things you were looking for in ball players and and what you things that you uh, looked for as far as for making a team. Mm-hmm. Well, the kids that I had, you know, you were all sixteen and up, and I felt that if if you're going to be playing baseball then, especially in the summer, that it should be where we can help you get a scholarship in college. And so I was looking at potential as much as I was looking at someone's ability. There, there was a lot of kids that I saw that I thought were as good as they're going to get. And there was a lot of kids that I saw out there, and Steve Finley was one of them, that I thought had an unbelievable amount of potential. You know, and wasn't that way with Terry Shumper. Terry walked on the field, and you knew he was a big-time baseball player yeah. at age 14. Yeah, two. these are two major leaguers that played for Doc. Uh, Steve played 20-plus years in the majors, won a World Series, and of course Terry Shumper played, you know, over ten years. I'm sure in the major. I'm not sure exactly how many, but probably ten to fifteen years in the major mm-hmm. league. So, my, my philosophy is after we picked our team, and you know when we had tryouts, we just scrimmaged. If you remember or not, yeah. And I wanted to see see everybody hustle their position, hustle in. That's attitude, and I wanted to see the the. Uh, the guys run after foul balls if they were closest to it. I mean, that was our theory. If you're the closest to the foul ball, you go get it. Don't wait around for someone else. And we're not going to use the excuse, well, this is my third year and you're, you're a, senior, a freshman. you got to go get it because I, you were all equal and you knew that. Yeah. And so my, my philosophy was that to get people out that had potential to, be get, to get better. And I, I think it turned out good. We we got almost every kid that I can think of a scholarship that wanted one. Right. And it wasn't always to the school they wanted to go, but they, they got one. And at least they could tell their kids or grandkids, I got a, a scholarship to St. Louis Shoe. And some of them were like the school was $10,000, and they got $2,000 scholarship. And so that's 8000 they had to come up with. But at least they got one. And, of course, $8,000 is a lot more than it was to go to a, a public school or a Kentucky school at that Kentucky College. But uh, a lot of them got f- uh, full scholarships, you know, and uh, especially to the junior colleges. And uh, I, was, I was gifted with that, and I, I got to know the coaches well. And we didn't have the internet back then. We didn't have all these trial camps. So I would I would call like Itchy Jones at SIU, and I'd say, Itchy, I got a shortstop that can play. And he says, well, I don't need a shortstop, you know. But he, I said, well, who do you know that needs one? And so he would tell me. Then I'd call that guy. And then he would he would say, yeah, I'm interested in him, you know. 
And he needs to say, well, I got a second baseman that I'm, that I'm looking at, uh, but I don't need him. And I'd say, well, I know who needs him over in Malibu, uh, Arkansas. They got a college over there. So I'd call over there. And that's kind of how we got kids around. You know? And if you had a catcher, you know, you would call a, a Keith up there at UK. And he, if he didn't need him, he would call a junior team that said they need him or he'd call on one of his competitors because you kids could play you know mm-hmm. we had 60 kids try out usually mm-hmm. and uh, and they all wanted to play so that was my philosophy to, to, to my goal was rather to get the kids in the in baseball if they played uh they where they could go on and use their those abilities to help pay their their college and the other philosophy was to get you all a job you know, because I felt you had to work, you know, just like everybody else to get a get a, an idea of what life's about. You know, you work during the day and then you go home with your family at night and we could get just about everybody a job. Today, it's almost unheard of. The junior doesn't want to play. Cause I don't want him working because he'll be tired for the game. And that just blows my mind. You know, because <laughs> juniors got more more energy than they've ever had, probably, you know. Yeah, that's right. I, I could, you know, uh, I know my job when I played for you was working over here at McNabb School at the playground with the city, uh, you know, playing with kids from the neighborhood that would come up. And so I would do that all day and then bring my clothes and be ready to play that night uh, here at, at Brook Stadium. So I, you're, you're exactly right on that. You know, a lot of kids, you know, they think they can stay at home in bed and sleep not not do the dishes if that was their job or not cut the grass and then come on out here and be ready to play walk through that gate and their attitude's going to change you know but if they got up in the morning they did all the things they were supposed to do you know and uh cut the grass and did the things for mother or their father or, or went to work and, and then they come in with a good attitude then they're going to carry that through that gate into the into the ball field and you know you talk about attitude and that's something we've talked about on our, a lot of our previous podcasts but talk about how important attitude is for a baseball player good attitudes versus bad attitudes and 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 how it affects people as ball players but not only that but as later in their life as as uh, workers yeah. Well, if they have a bad attitude and they come out here with that bad attitude, it was my opinion they really didn't want to play baseball. I believed if they really wanted to play baseball, they would have a good attitude. You know, if they want to go to work for the telephone company, they're not going to walk in there with a bad attitude if they really want to work for the telephone company. So those that had bad attitudes, I think that they had their mind on something else and this probably wasn't the place for them but sometimes you would get a kid that you, you would think would have a bad attitude and they really didn't and lamont fox was one of those mm-hmm. you remember lamont yeah I sure do you know he had he didn't have a good reputation coming out here not, not drugs or anything like that just you know if it's but so he was out in center field during tryouts and i walked out there and i introduced myself and and i i said lamont i understand that that after we talked a little bit, I understand that you you get in a lot of fights, and he says uh, I never started one, uh, but he says I've ended every one. <laughs> uh, so I said, and I guess Lamont won't get mad at me, but I said Lamont, I understand you drink a beer or two, uh, pretty regular. And he says, Well, I I do drink a beer or two. He says I do that. And I said, and I says he lived with his grandma. So I says, Well, what's your grandma say about that? And Lamont says, well, my grandma said, if you drink, don't drive. <laughs> <laughs> so 
I'm standing out there thinking I need to meet his grandma <laughs> get her out here to work with these kids you know oh yeah so, so I asked him I said I just want you to be a gentleman you know and when you got that uniform on and, and when you're with us I expect you to, to let me take care of the fights because that's the only thing I can do I can't play I can't throw the ball I can't hit the ball I can't run you know I can't pitch and, and but you guys get to do all that but the only thing I got to do is argue with the umpire and give a few signals, you know, because if we're not ready to play and we get out there, there's really nothing I can do. I mean, we, you guys learn from your mistakes, and after the first month, I didn't have to tell you if you missed the ball why you missed it. You knew it because we, we practiced that. That was our theory. If you made a mistake, we all held it up in that dugout, not out where everybody could see us, but in that dugout, and we went over that mistake. And then so everybody can learn from your mistake or his mistake. And then by and I tell you by July you won't need to huddle up because if you miss a ground ball you're going to know why. To kind of talk to the fact that you know I I don't recall you ever um, and I'll say publicly uh, chewing a player out on the field. We you know it was handled in the dugout. If you needed to correct a player or or you know di- uh, maybe discipline them or, or whatever needed to be done, you handled it privately. It wasn't a public issue. Kind of talk about how you how you did that. Sometimes you watch and you see a coach chew some kid out and you, you think, well, that's not right. And sometimes you, I guess you think, well, he deserved it. But I don't think anybody deserves to be chewed out publicly. Mm-hmm. You know, no matter who you are, a baseball player or working for you in your office or, or working for me out here, you know, I think you can accomplish more one-on-one. And if I wanted to, to, to chew out the whole team, I, I don't, probably I, it very seldom happened. I would make him go out to the, the left field foul pole out there 340 feet away and I would take my time in getting out there because by then they usually settled themselves because they knew who made the mistake and who caused the problem and then I'd get out there and have a short talk with them and uh, they would usually have it settled by then so I was felt gifted to have that kind of kids because you all wanted to play and if you wanted to play you're going to do what's right if you don't want to play you're not that was my philosophy you know you mentioned Steve Finley earlier I've heard you you and I've had thousands of conversations about about baseball and about players but just talk about the attributes that you saw out of him that made him the major leaguer that he later became cuz I I remember you saying he wasn't the most physically gifted player or wasn't the best player when he walked out here but you know he's probably the greatest major league baseball player to ever come out of Paducah. I mean, I think that would be fair to say. What was it about Steve that you saw in him as his coach that pushed him to to his you know greatness? Well, first of all, he was left-handed. You know, and I liked left-handed hitters. You know, yeah. and and I watched him run. He had good speed, but I knew he could run faster. You know, if we worked with him, and he had a tremendous arm. And that arm lights you up right away when you see a kid go on the outfield and throw a ball on a line, right? To, and it was accurate. In fact, I asked him if he played basketball because I thought he had a lot of skills. Mm-hmm. And he said that he tried out for the basketball team and he didn't make it, so he played in the uh, church league. And I was, like, shocked, you know. The, the, more, the more I saw him swing the bat, the more I saw him run during those tryouts in, in the inter-squad games, just everything he did I thought we could markedly improve on. You know, I had, like, Phil Roof come out and look at him. And because uh, Phil, I leaned on a lot because he was very objective. And he agreed with me. He thought that, he, he thought he had a great potential. Mm-hmm. 
you know, Dave Henley, who helped you coach one year and was one of my coaches, I remember him telling me that uh, when they were at SIU that he was the most tireless worker that he had ever seen. He said practice was over. He would he would beg Dave, stay and throw me more BP. I want to hit more balls. I want to – you know, he said you just couldn't outwork him. He, he said that it was just the – the work ethic that that he had he had never been around, and I, I think it showed out in his career. He called me his junior year and asked me to come and see him at SIU. So I drove up there, and he was out in center field and doing his job. When he got done with his job, he came in, and we talked between the dugout and the, the backstop screen. And uh, I can remember playing his day, and, and I said, what's going on, Steve? He says, well, I got drafted, and nobody's called me. And I says, well, I says – are you passing all your grades? And he said, oh, yeah. And I said, if you don't get drafted, will you, will you graduate next year? And he said, yeah. And I said, well, if you don't get drafted and you don't go, I mean, he was drafted, you know, if he doesn't get, they don't call him, then uh, what are you going to do this summer? He said, I'm going to go to Alaska League and play baseball, you know. And he wanted to be a chiropractor, by the way. Yeah. And so I asked Steve, I said, did you get admitted to the chiropractic college? Like I didn't know, you know. <laughs> And uh, he said, "Yeah." And I said, "So let me see what what it is. You're gonna you, you're gonna graduate if you say next year. You got admitted to the chiropractic college, and you're gonna play baseball in the Alaskan League this summer. And you're worried." <laughs> and he said, "You know, Doc, that makes sense." And I said, "If you get drafted, I say call you. I'm sure they'll call you." And I said, call, "Your daddy will be there, and you know he'll help you. Don't you think that'll happen?" He says, "Yes, sir." And I said, "What do you got to worry about?" He said, "I was thinking the same thing." <laughs> He says, but I just wanted to hear it. He says, thanks a lot. He ran out in center field. Yeah. You know, uh, one thing I recall as, I, as we played, and um, you you obviously coached us, but I don't know that maybe you were the technical coach. Maybe, you know, uh, certain aspects of playing baseball, you know, you might not teach us. But one thing I always noted that you did, you would bring back the old players that had played for you in years past to help us and instruct us. And I recall Steve Finley actually coming out here and teaching us how to play balls off the fence and how to how to crow hop and just different th- different outfield skills. Then this was prior to him actually making the major leagues. I think he was in the minors at the time. But But talk about that, how you used to bring players back to teach different skill sets. When I coached, I wanted – Someone that knew as much as me or more. And I preferred the more, you know, because, you know, they can pass on more information to y'all, especially if they've been there and done it. You know, you can read it in a book and you can practice it all you want. But there's only one way you learn how to play baseball, and that's play the game. And that includes choosing up sides like we used to and playing the game because competition is what makes you good. You know, and sooner or later you'll learn that it's a lot easier to do it the right way than it is to do it the wrong way. And, and that's true. You played. The right way is so much easier than the wrong way. And if you can win doing it the wrong way, just think how, how good you could be if you did it the right way. You know, uh, getting on that point that you just made, I remember you saying to me that that – the higher at each higher level of baseball you went to, the game actually becomes easier if you know how to play right and you just allow yourself to play instead of pressing and trying to do things you can't do what you can and it, and it gets easier each level up. You remember talking about that, right? You know, it's repetition. You got to come out and, and do it day in and day out. You know, and and, it, and and when you really get good, it's hard to get good for the teams you know you're gonna. To get up, rather, you know that you're going to be ten to nothing, and we had some of those. Mm-hmm. But the good kids, they always 
the good attitude kids, the kids that really wanted to win, which was all 18 of us from what I can remember. Mm-hmm. We wanted to play those teams that even were supposed to be better than us and were better than us in some cases. And, and we even played some college teams out here. And because competition is is what makes you a good baseball player. I remember you used to bring in. Uh, I know the Cape Girada had the semi pro team, the Capahaws, which were all college players, or even guys who were out of college. Some that had even played in the minor leagues occasionally would play for them. And as a Legion team and high school players, we would play those guys, and and really. I mean that that was a big deal for for us to feel like we're in the game with guys that are at much uh, advanced levels than we are. But you know we hung with them, beat them a few times, mm-hmm. uh, and so I, I agree with you a hundred percent of what you're saying about you got to play good competition. Uh, you know it, it kind of parallels right tonight. Kentucky's playing Wisconsin in the Final Four. And, you know, kind of to what you're speaking about, the Harrisons against teams that aren't that great just kind of float along. But when the it seems to me when they face the stiffest competition is when they rise to the level. You know, last year in the tournament they hit the shots to, to propel Kentucky on. You know, the other night Harrison hit the two free throws to beat Notre Dame when the competition was prime. So I, I see exactly what you're talking about. Now, Doc, talk to me. You know, you did a lot of winning. I think um, we had a plaque uh, somewhere around here that, that had your record on it. But, you know, there's, there's winning games and then there's winning in life. How, what what do you define uh, as winning? What is what is uh, your definition of winning or success? I guess I would say. Well, as long as we went out there and, and did the best we could, you don't lose. You learn from that. And if any time you learn, no matter what it is, baseball or at your job, you know, then you come out ahead. So if you if we can do that, and that's what I tried to teach you guys to do: give it your best shot when the game's over. It's over. I remember one time Joe Hall had to play shortstop because Terry was sick. That's great. Yet, yet another major leader, yeah, I would like Great feeling. Yeah. But he made a couple errors over there. We were playing up in Millington, and you know how the umpires were up there. But we went back for more every year. And But they were had good, good teams, and we wanted to play that Millington team. They had people from all over the United States. So uh, we lost to them on an error by, by Joe. We made a couple errors out there. And shortstop. I walked by the car, and Joe, baby, he's riding with Joe. Joe Milford. Joe Milford. And he threw, threw his glove in the trunk and said, Doc should have left my rear end at home. So I immediately called a, t- a team meeting, called everybody after we, you know, not just stop and scream, but I got everybody together. And I said, we're going to go eat up the road at Dyersburg so we can cool off, you know, because we were hot. And I said, but I need one, I'm going to make a point to you all right now. I says, we can't play bad enough to miss a meal. It's not going to happen. And, yeah. and it's true. I, I don't believe in that, that, that kind of motivation. Well, if you don't play good, you're not going to feed you. Or you're, you're not going to get a, a red hat and everybody else is going to have to wear a blue hat or something. I just didn't believe in that. Or picking one kid out and constantly picking on him so the other kids will think, well, I don't want him picking on me like that. Mm-hmm. I, I think as, as kids – and, and adults too, but more more kids. Kids will be honest with you, one hundred and fifty percent honest with you, if you'll be honest with them. And once once you're not, then they lose that that feeling towards you if they think you're not telling the truth. Yeah, it, it is. It is definitely a two way street. Sure. If you want the honesty from them, and you know, I know you've had kids come to you in the past and tell you things that probably really shocked you. 
but they they felt uh, they felt as if you were an advocate for them and and they could tell you things that maybe they couldn't tell their parents can you talk to that a little bit because there was a there was a lot of them Mm -hmm. but the the kids were sincere and their parents were sincere and and i always told them you go home and talk to your parents i bet you it'll work out it will work out but you have to sit down and tell them the truth don't try to make excuses for what you did just lay it out there on the line for for your, your father and your mother, and I believe it'll work out. And you know what? It always did. Yeah, it, it really has. Because we had good parents, too. You remember that? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's you know that's one thing we've talked about on many podcasts, that no matter how good a player is, if you've got bad parents, especially on a travel team or a, a team like this, uh, the kid, there's no kid worth messing with if his parents are going to be a total headache to you and and and, you know you've probably had i know i've had it in the past where we've had parents that you know they they created such havoc and their their kids were happy their kids were fine with what was going on and at times you have to go to the parents and say look your son is happy with how things are you need to back off a little bit and I'm, i'm sure you've had to have those conversations as well not not very often, though, Dax, in, in, in all honesty. You know, we had that rule if, if they – you remember the steps used to go straight down at the end of, the, end of where people sit here at the end of the stadium part. And I said, if a parent steps one foot off there, your kid's off the team. That's the end of it. It only happened once, and I enforced it. Yeah. You know, and – but the the parents at that at your age, you know, they were pretty well knew who could play and who couldn't, and the kids knew. And I figured if I was doing right and the kids were happy and they knew I was doing right, everything was going to be all right. Could you elaborate on the Lone Ranger story, where you came up with that from? Well, a little bit. Uh, but anyway, after, after we picked the team, and if I would forget the story the guys had played before, I'd say, tell them the Lone Ranger story. They wouldn't, they wouldn't tell anybody. And, and uh, Custard, Custard was, was out riding around, and he just, came to the top of the hill and he saw on this other hill there was uh, Geronimo and I think that's the wrong Indian but we'll use him and and he had all these thousands of Indians with him and Custer says well we've uh, fought every other time we fought all the rest of the Indians we might as well fight this one and get it done and we'll, we'll show him who's boss and we'll, we'll whip him and we'll be uh, mark him down as someone else we uh, some other Indians we killed so down in the valley they went and they fought for three days and three nights. And when the smoke cleared, Custard was dead. And and all his mighty troops skilled. They were skilled in the best army people they could have. And they were all dead. And the Indians were happy. And they that night they partied and they uh, danced and they drank some uh, spirits. And the next day they rode over a mountain. And there was the Lone Ranger sitting up on that mountain. And he still had about... 5,000 Indians left. And he says, well, we kicked Custer's uh, uh, rear end, shall we say. Well, let's just go down there and we'll just whip the Lone Ranger while we're at it. And so down there they went, 5,000 Indians, and down the Lone Ranger went. And for five days and five nights they fought. And when the dust cleared, all the Indians were dead except for the Lone Ranger. And do you know what the moral of the story is? Uh, don't mess with the Lone Ranger. <laughs> And you were the Lone Ranger. And I'm the Lone Ranger. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's a classic story. You can imagine there's some variances to the story, but uh, that's the gist of it. So I really, uh, that was a story where you... You know, it it worked one time. uh, Cherry remembered it. We took a oath, all of us together. We were going to stay together no matter what. And, you know, you have to come to the games. There was no excuses, no vacations. 
you know, you had to be here. It was a job. And we didn't, we weren't a union job either. You know, I, I was the boss. And, but I didn't act like a boss, I don't think. We, uh, just, we just, just did what we were supposed to do to win and to have a good time and to learn and get the kids into college. But Terry came to me, and he had a chance to play in some kind of basketball tournament. And, of course, his basketball coach, I won't say his name, uh, called me, and he said, he says, Terry's going, and, and if he goes, you're going to lose the state tournament, and you're going to lose Terry. And I said, well, you can count on we'll lose Terry. I said, but don't count on us losing the state tournament. We can win without him. Yeah. you know. And I said, we can win without anyone ball player, but we'd miss Terry, we'd miss any of them, but he will not be playing anymore. Terry came down my, down my office, and you know Judy let him come back. And he said, uh, Doc, uh, I'd like to do that. And I said, Terry, you gave your word, and I'm going to hold you to it. And I'll make it short. And so Terry says, well, what if I tell you all the t- team members voted? And they said I could go. I says, oh, that's great. Yeah, that's fine with me. And he says, yeah, oh, good. So he got about halfway out of the office to where Judy is. And he turned around and come back, and he sat in a chair. And he says, oh, I got it. And I says, what's that? Their vote don't count. <laughs> and I says, Terry, you've been listening. I'm proud of you. <laughs> you. You know, Doc, in all the years we played, um, the, the thing I remember about Legion Ball, one, we won. That, that's one thing that I remember. But the other thing I remember is just how much fun we had. And, and, you know, some people say, well, you had fun because you won. But, but you know, we did lose games and, and, and lost important games, but we had fun through it all. And when and I think anybody that I talked to that played Legion with me, before me, or after me, that's the one thing they talk about is that they learned how to play baseball right here and that they had fun. Talk about, talk about how you uh, promoted that environment of, of, of excellence, but having fun while you're doing it. Yeah. I, I think that every kid wants to know where the line is. And some of them want to go right up to it, and some of them don't. But there's always one or two that want to go right up to that line. I, I think them knowing where the line is, it helps. But having fun, I just think, is part of baseball. I, I didn't think I was doing anything exceptional, you know. If you're not, you're giving up your time. You're not being paid. Uh, you're playing sixty games in what two months? We played every day, but uh, Mondays and Fridays. Back then, the tournaments weren't on Friday, and sometimes we could pick up a good team. We would play on Fridays, and then then we then I tried to make it fun when we had double headers. I told them that, that tell your mom, your girlfriend, your aunt, your uncles because the first six weeks we played double headers. Everybody but is going to play, but all the pitchers can't play, but the players are going to play. Everybody's going to be on the field in double headers. And I tell them that when we play single games, hopefully everybody will get in the game because they're nine innings. And then when we go in the tournament, though, I'm, tournaments, I'm going to play the best the whole game to, to, to win it. I think by them knowing where that line was, that where, the, where, the, where, their, where their responsibility was, that, that they, would, they would have fun that way. And at the same time, I didn't want people sitting on the bench that were happy sitting on the bench. I mean, you know, this isn't a park bench. You know, that that's comp- competition. If you think you can beat that guy out, I'll be watching. If you can, then you played, and you know that happened. Yeah. You know, it didn't make any difference who your dad was or, or who you knew. Uh, every kid was judged on his own ability and, and how hard they work. And to me, if you don't like baseball, then that's not fun. We were doing the things that you do in baseball that are fun, you know, the kids knew they had a fair shot, and they, they knew that if they made the team that they were going to be treated right, and 
they knew that that uh, we were going to do everything we could do to help them, whether they were starter or not. But you know, at the end of the year, we wound up playing about everybody in those tournaments: pinch running and pinch hitting, and moving people around. And we weren't afraid to play anybody. Well, you were Kentucky this year's Kentucky team years ago. You you know that was one thing when I made the team the first year. Um, I got to play. I did what you were talking about: second games of double headers. I would get my shot. Uh, to play in the outfield and and I performed and before long once you hit that second month I was in there pretty much uh, all the time in the important games and then on in the tournament and 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 I think but but like you said everybody did play I I think back to the teams that that I was on and then that my brother Brandon was on everybody played there wasn't a kid that you would say well yeah he just sat the bench all the time we we didn't have those and I think and I think that's something key that coaches or people that are listening to this podcast need to hear. You know, your record's glittering. Um, so your record overall was 831 wins and 294 losses. But, you know, if you if you were to uh, think back on those 294 losses, there are probably a lot of those games, had you played your number one team, you probably would have won. But in the end, the key was developing the kids, getting them a chance to play, and that record really didn't matter. It kind of took care of itself, didn't it? Right. I mean, if you get down to it, and, and that's where you, you said, you know, winning and losing. Mm-hmm. Those those were those games we lost. We we won on because we learned on them. Exactly. We learned, you know, and and we let the kids bat under when the pressure was on to see what they would do. You know, I could have put you know someone like you in the pinch hit farm, mm-hmm. and I knew you were going to put the ball on the play. Yeah. But how's that kid going to learn to do it if he's actually not doing it? Yeah. You know, those are things, you know, I like to be fundamentally sound, but I like the kids to be competitive, too. And they need to be choosing up sides and playing more games each each other and maybe missing a day or two of instruction on how to hold a bat or how to tie your shoes or something. What's your thoughts on uh, year-round baseball? Uh, you know, I know back when I played, we played what was in season. If basketball was in season, we played basketball. If baseball was in season in the summer. And I know you talked about – that you asked for a commitment from the kids when they came out for this team. Because I, I know the first year I made the team, I actually didn't play because I had already committed to basketball camps. And I know you told my dad and I, hey, go to the camps, come back next year. Talk about what your thoughts are on, on people who focus on one sport year-round as a kid. Is that is that good? Is that something you encourage? Or what's your thoughts on it? Well, I think it goes back to competition. You know, let's take football. for And, and you know, I like football. I, I go and watch football, and I support football, and I get a letter from every day, send me some money. Got one from Marshall County. I don't know who sent it to me. <laughs> I, I'll have to look into that, Doc. <laughs> but, uh, and, 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 and I'll do respect to, to the coaches. The football plays, what, eight games a year and practices the rest of the time. I don't think you can learn to play the game unless you're playing that game. And I think what helps helps you become a good athlete, a good baseball player, uh, is that you play in other sports. So you, you compete in football, you compete in basketball, you compete in baseball. I see that not doing nothing but helping you become a football player, our basketball player, our baseball player. You know, And if you have that opportunity, some kids don't have that opportunity. Look how many kids played three sports and, and made it to the major leagues without any problems at all. Yeah. I hear him talking about it. So I think that, that you're better off to let your son play as many sports as he wants to. And, and by that, he'll learn to compete, and he'll learn to play under pressure, and he'll learn to, to, to know what it takes to win and, and just 
to have a lot of fun and have a competition. And fun is doing something you like. That's why baseball was fun to you guys. You liked it. You know, and, and we, we played it at the highest level you could play it at, I thought. Yeah, I agree. So, so I, and, and I, I agree with you. It's it doesn't do to me it doesn't do you any good if you're you know I, I hear these teams talk about well we went forty and zero or we went you know eighty two and two and, and maybe a team is that good in the country I'm not saying it isn't but to me I would rather have a team that went you know thirty and twelve but they were tested in my my mind if you're not tested playing the best people available you're not going to get better as a player you you know i, I don't think you have to, it's, you have to stretch yourself uh and, and 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 you talk about that go play the best competition you can forget about the wins and losses but play the best and, and i mean obviously go for the win but you know we used to play memphis tigers you've talked about that yeah. uh you know and they um you know they they had players from all over the country had an enormous um you know, amount of money they could use to get whoever they wanted. But yeah, we went after them and they, didn't they even say something to you, the fact that they didn't play a lot of Legion teams because no one would play them. Talk about that, if you will. Yeah, I I would call down there and we would play in Jackson too. Mm -hmm. We would play them. We'd play two two different colleges there and the kids would be seen. Then we'd go over and play and on the weekend we'd go to Millington and play and then we would go to uh, Germantown and play. And the kids got the exposure where people could see them play. I just thought it was thought it was good, and we learned to compete. And first, when we would go up there, you know, we struggled. And then by uh, after the second or third trip, we had our minds have improved enough to know that we're just as good as those guys because we were willing to compete. And we started beating up on them, with the exception of that Memphis Tigers, who had their own umpires. You know, <laughs> until we got them down here, we got them in Paducah, and took care of them, didn't we? Yeah, but it was straight up. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. What was the story that you remember? Where y'all were in the regional in Oklahoma. You were we all were out in Oklahoma in the regionals. Yeah, and you're about to win it. Uh, and I think you had Cooper on the team. He was the catcher, and uh, Fox, and some of those guys. And you went to the mound to make a – Oh, okay. And wanted to walk a kid. Can you tell that story? Well, I'd watched the College World Series, and I'd seen those teams from Louisiana, and they had a couple of players on there, and this one hit, hit two or three home runs during the College World Series. So I walked out there, and uh, there was uh, – And y'all were about to Thompson win. Thompson was speaking. If you won, you went to the World Series, correct? We were at the, we were at the regional. At yeah. the regional. Yeah, if you won this game, you would have to go to the World Series. So. Oh, Todd Smith come on, you know. He was the sheriff in Ballard County. And, uh, he came out there, and he was always, you know, firm and hot-headed, and boy, but a real competitor. Boy, I loved him, man. He's a great player. Cooper, you talking Todd Cooper? Yeah, Todd Cooper. Mm-hmm. And uh, he says, "Let's pitch to this guy." I said, "No, I seen this guy. He hit two or three home runs in the World Series. We're just going to put him on it." And of course, Terry said, "Let's pitch to him," you know. And Tom said, "I can get him out," you know. I said, "Boys, we pitch to him. We're going home." And they said, "No, no." I said, "Well, I've been out of work for three weeks. If you want to go home, it's fine with me. I wouldn't go to the World Series, but it's either pitch this guy. We're going home." So anyway, they said, "We're pitching to him." I said, "All right, go ahead." So I walked in there and I told Joe, baby. I said, "Joe, baby." I said, "What week is it?" And he told me. I said, "Well, we're going home after this pitch." And that guy hit that ball. I bet he hit it. If it had been this ballpark, it would have been over that flagpole for a home run, and we lost. <laughs> so we came home on the bus, and I called ahead, and I told uh, Judy to take a ball out there and put it on Todd's car where we, where we parked. You know? <laughs> so we, the bus pulls in, and we get out on Todd's. What's that on my windshield, you know? And uh, 
I said, I don't know. I said, let me go over and get it. So I went over there. And it was, I said, well, that's a baseball. And I said, that's that ball that guy hit down there in Oklahoma. <laughs> he, he, he got mad and went home. <laughs> Joe Baby would, he, Todd would hit a home run, and Joe Baby put his name in the paper wrong just to make him mad. <laughs> had, had a lot of confidence in him, and his brother, Remember the tee balls? Oh, yeah. We got to tell this story. Go ahead. Go ahead and tell that. We, we had a, I got a tee, and I had those kids hit off a tee a lot. Of course, they didn't like it because that was kind of little league, but they learned that that's, that's what you do to learn how to hit. Your brother and two other kids came out there, and they were laughing at him. I said, well, let's see you hit the ball off the tee. Well, none of them could hit it off the tee. They hit it or missed it or just hit the top of the ball, and Brandon just ripped it off there. And I said, well, Brandon, you come back next year for sure. We need you. Yeah. I think you told me to give my uniform to him. You said, you said, you know what, Dax? He said, give your uniform to this kid. You kept putting another ball. Well, hit this one. And Brandon would rip it, you know. Well, hit this one here. You kept expecting him to miss it. And, man, he kept hitting. And he said, Dax, he goes, give him your uniform. We want him. (laughs) So, anyway. Well, Doc, it's been great talking to you and catching up. And um, I know we could could probably do 10 podcasts on all the stories through the years and everything but uh uh, but again we appreciate the time and and uh thank you for coming on i appreciate it no i just enjoyed uh, being with y'all and uh dax was always one of my better ball players 